Well, I like that dialogue. I think it, it helps point out the way we tend to want to have our cake and eat it too. We want the affirmation that comes from our faith. We like to know at least what, what are the minimum requirements about being a part of the kingdom of God, to know that we're included, to know that our place is taken care of. But at the same time, we don't want to accept the sacrifices that come along the way of putting our full and total trust in Jesus Christ. I also like how it presents Jesus so well, so authentically, because Jesus often throws those truths out, and he lets us just chew on them. He lets them work on us. He lets them develop us so that we apply it to our situation in our day and our time. It's a great dialogue for us to do that. If we're to understand it, we need to appreciate it. I like a, a quote that Stephen Patterson said. He says, it presents a God who demands all, but who also gives all. I think to appreciate what Jesus is trying to get across to us when he says that we need to strive first for his righteousness, to strive first for his kingdom, is that we have to really appreciate what he's trying to say when he says that we have two masters. And that's something we, I imagine, don't connect with all that well because we don't live in an age of slavery. We don't tend to think of ourselves as having masters. It kind of helps, I think, to think through what slavery was like in Jesus' day because it was a very common experience. We believe that in Jesus' day, at least in Italy, at the height of the Roman Empire, we know that slavery represented about 30 to 40% of the population. In other parts of the empire, it was somewhere between 10 to 15%, a very common experience. And that's because slavery wasn't based on race. Slavery came about because people sometimes sold themselves into debt to pay off a debt. And if you worked a certain number of years, then that debt would be free and you'd be free once again. Slavery came about because the Roman Empire was ever-expanding and they would conquer new territories and the soldiers would then be taken as prisoners, sometimes even the leading citizens, so that the slavery population was one that was sometimes highly educated and skilled. Sometimes a slave would be a physician or an accountant. And even at times it was understood that in the terms of somebody's will, when a master would pass away, they would set their slave free. So it was always in the best interest of a slave to please his master. They understood very well what Jesus was talking about when he said that one cannot have two masters. Now, you still may have a hard time imagining that you have a master, but the best indicator of who our masters are is stopping to asking yourself, what do you worry about? Do you worry? We all worry, don't we? There was a study I came across this week that was done in the UK, but I would imagine a lot of those results would transfer over to our situation. And they pointed out that they, they, gave up, they came up a list of the top 30 worries that people had. The first one was stomach and being overweight. Anybody rest with that one? Number two was getting old. Number three was lack of savings and financial future. Number four was overall fitness. Five was overdrafts and lows. That never happens to you, does it? Seven was credit card debt. Uh, number nine was job security. Eleven was keeping the house clean. Uh, Sixteen was whether or not I am attractive. I think that ship sailed for Dick and I. Hair or no hair? 
Number 19 was, does my partner love me? Number 20 was finding or being with the right partner. And this is what they found also in that study. The average person spends 14.31 hours per week worrying. Add that up. 744 hours of worry a year. That's 45,243 hours of worry in a lifetime. That all translates to 5.2 years of your life you have wasted worrying. And they also found out that 45% of us find that that worry affects our health, the midst of that kind of health. Well, we do fight two masters. And Jesus' solution to that, to his people on that day at the Sermon on the Mount was look around. Notice the lilies of the field and he's referring to the wildflowers that were in full bloom. He must have been giving this during springtime when the grass is green. And those wildflowers would be colorful as the colors in King Solomon's robe. He said, look at the birds of the air. And there would be sparrows flying around, just like we had flying around at Teeter today. And pointed out that they neither toil, they don't sweat, they don't work to grow, sow, grow, and harvest. And yet, their needs are met. He invites us to look around and see God's handiwork. And we'll see that God is there to take care of us. He will look after us. We don't need to have two masters. We learn to, need to learn to trust in that one who is over all things. But even if you get to that point, it's still not a simple solution. Because I don't know how you are, but I find in my life, often the choices I have to make are not between good and evil. They're not between bad and good. Often there's so many things that our society offers to us that are rather attractive. And so many things that it's easy to say, you know, I work so hard for this. I deserve this. And so our toughest questions is not between good and bad. It's between what is good and what is best for our lives. What's the best use of my time? What's the best use of my energy? Where should I put my focus? And so some questions that I think are probably most helpful to us that I'd like to share that I think are in the spirit of Jesus are questions like these. What do I need to do to create space in my life for God to bring spiritual power and presence to my day? It all starts with our connection with God. Or how do I model for my children or my grandchildren the importance of spirituality so they'll discover the importance of a relationship with God in their lives? It's not enough to just drop your kids off at church at Orange Express or at youth group and just say they've got that covered. We shouldn't expect our professionals to do the heavy lifting. It starts at home. Have we let the expectations of society and the drive to be successful take over our lives to the point there is no quality family time? Our society offers us difficult choices all the time. And if our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, which we, we have stated several times in the last year or so, then what in our weekly schedule is truly transforming? What is making a difference in this world? And if it's not weekly, then perhaps we're not making that difference. And how are we using our financial resources to build the kingdom of God here on earth? We've been blessed with so much. What's going to be our legacy? What's going to be that which makes the difference. So putting our resources in those places, those agencies that are truly 
make it a difference in helping those who are the least in our society here on earth. Now, all of this I think is helpful when we think about what does a missionary look like? What is it we're called to be as we seek to strive for his kingdom and his righteousness on this earth? And those same tough questions we have to ask, I think, apply to a church as well. As Pastor Aaron has shared previously, our bishop has called for us, for all United Methodist churches in the state of Indiana by the year 2020, to be missional. To know what its mission is, to be able to name it and declare it, and be actively making that difference in our world. We certainly have made some strides in that direction already. How vital and important that is. But it means a whole shift in our understanding of who we are. I think it makes a call for a shift in how we've seen church for many, many years. Our bishop had a gathering of our large churches, invited staff to come, and he brought in a man by the name of Reggie McNeil, who shared from his book, Kingdom Come. And I really identified with how he described what his life in ministry has been like. He said when he came out of seminary, everything was about church growth and all kinds of techniques and about that seeker model of trying to make your church attractive to people and, and to realize that there's people who've been turned off by church so how can you almost become anti-church so that they can see something different and see the full presentation of the gospel and he said you know I worked at that for a good 10 years trying to fix church trying to make church what it should be and then he said something changed in my understanding when he moved out of the local church after 10 years and he took a denominational position, he said he could even remember when that happened one night. He'd been in another part of the state sharing about the future of the church with a number of pastors. He drove home a couple hours, and as he's getting out of his car into the apartment complex that he was living in temporarily as they were shifting into new housing, made that 32-step trek up to his apartment complex on the third floor, and it dawned on him he spent the last 10 years of his life trying to make the perfect church. And there wasn't a single person in this apartment complex that would walk across the street to go to it. And he said it was true. He said every Sunday morning he'd get his family up, to get all dressed up, get in the car, and he'd look around, and there'd be nobody else in the same situation. They're either sleeping in or they're going out to the pool or getting ready to do some other activity. Nobody was going to church. He said, something needs to change. And so he began to rethink things. He came to the conclusion that maybe our call is not so much about making people good church people, but how to mature people and make disciples of Jesus Christ so they're equipped to go out into the world and truly make a difference. He, he began to notice things about the scriptures, how in the New Testament it mentions the word church three times. But the word kingdom is mentioned 31 times. He took note in our Lord's Prayer. What do we say every week? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that prayer. Have we ever thought that maybe God wants us to help do something about that? And he said that he had to rethink the church is not just a place. It's not this building. It's not just a thing. But it's people making people equipped disciples. And then he shared an understanding that I really like. His analogy, I think, makes a lot of sense. He says, the church should see itself as like an airport terminal. 
Now, how many of you have been in an airport terminal? Okay. Do you love going to the airport terminal? Airport terminal is important, right? But you don't go to the airport terminal to go to the airport terminal. You go to the airport terminal to get to your ultimate destination, which is hopefully that wonderful place that you're going to spend a vacation or to see the family you haven't seen for a while. The destination is not the terminal. It's important. It's very important. You've got to refuel that plane. You've got to restock the supplies. You get to refuel yourself a little bit if you've got enough of a weight for it. But the terminal is not the destination. And the church is not the destination. It is the place that we equip and train and make disciples of Jesus Christ to send you out into the world to go and make a difference to go and transform lives and to transform the world. And I like that understanding. I think that is very helpful to us. A few weeks ago at our Thursday worship out at Teeter, we had somebody who had been invited to come several times. But when they learned that it was going to be held out at Teeter and we combined it with the opportunity to serve, she came. And we got talking about what it means to be a missionary. And we were having some group discussion. And she piped up and she said, you know, I'm an agnostic. I'm not sure if I believe in God. I'm open to the idea of God, but I just don't feel that need to worship and have to get together all the time. She says, if you feel that need, that's great. More power to you. And I don't mind if my kids come because I want them to make that decision for themselves. But when I found out that you're doing something here at Teeter and making a difference, I was there. I can, I can sign up for that. And I wish she could share those words with all of you, so I got her permission to share that little testimony she gave. The following week, she came back. We were discussing about what it means uh, to, be, to make disciples. And in that discussion around that little table, she said, you know, I could warm up to the idea of Jesus. And then last week, last Thursday, after we worked, we went into the garden and together we weeded a whole row, 160 feet of beans. Now, I share that because I think she's typical kind of person we see out in the world who's not sure about church anymore, not sure if, if the time that's spent here is worth it in their lives when they have all these choices and opportunities. So it's up to us to become that kind of church where they see we are making a difference and that we are growing and maturing in the faith to the point that we're equipped and ready to share our faith when it's necessary, but also be at work making a difference in this world. I think we've been making some great strides here. We do some wonderful things. Teeter is one great example that has all kinds of future opportunities to connect with this community. Our pastoral care ministries do great job. The grief share and divorce care are changing people's lives who often have never set foot in this church before. Our, our Monday lunch program is another great step we've made with the Noble Manor Apartments. And we hope that you'll come to help bless those children to make that next step, to let them experience that spiritual connection and, and realize how vital it could be in their lives. Our partnership with the schools is growing. Nobleville, Noblesville Main Street. But I believe God has so, so much more for us. So as a church and as a people, let's strive and seek first 
the concerns of the kingdom and trust that Christ will add to us as he blesses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this powerful scripture. Help us every day to ask that question, what is it that will help us seek you out, make you first in our life in everything that we do, and know that as we do so, good things will come, great things will come. Through Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.